So I'd like to set the stage for this particular gospel. We've been in John chapter 6, which is, which is a very significant chapter in the gospel of John, where Jesus talks about the Eucharist after he provides a Eucharistic miracle, you might say. He does the multiplication of the loaves and he feeds everyone feeds thousands and every point in Jesus's ministry for the most part up until this point he's been gaining momentum and popularity and so at this point he's already done quite a few miracles his disciples are growing every day and people have actually quit their professional careers and just started to follow him. Listen to him, learn from him, and become his disciples. And so this is a very climactic moment in the Gospel of John. Because this is the point at which these thousands of people who had been following him before leave. It gets so bad, and you can hear it in, in Jesus' voice almost, the pain. As he speaks to the twelve, he just sees these words were so harsh to everyone else. He was speaking of the Eucharist, which was a hard teaching. I am the bread of life. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. And if you don't, you will not have eternal life. You have no life within you. He's making a statement about his identity, that he is divine. And he's speaking in very, very shocking language. Cannibalism for all societies has been a big issue, obviously. It was particularly disgusting and abhorrent and shocking for the Jewish people. They stayed away from blood, period. Blood belonged to God, because that was the life force of the animal, and that belonged to God. So on their meats, they abstained from any type of blood and they took great care in the preparation of their meats and so on and so forth. So Jesus saying, you have to eat my bread and you have to eat my body and drink my blood is, 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 a, is really shocking. And he just keeps doubling down as he speaks about this. And all of a sudden, there's no one around anymore. Thousands of people are gone. And Jesus asks those famous words, are you also going to leave me to the twelve, his closest inner circle, his friends and brothers. And Peter, of course, speaking for the twelve in his big moment, just like at Caesarea Philippi and the other Gospels, where he calls Jesus the, the Messiah. Here he says, Master, to whom shall we go? 
You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe that you and are absolutely convinced that you are the Holy One of God. Yeah, we'd like to leave you, but there's nowhere else to go. Because at the bottom of reality, at the bottom of everything, we see you. Underneath all the passing things, and the coming and the going of fads, and your own popularity, And everything else dissolves and dies in this world. But you are at the bottom of reality. And there isn't really another option, whether we like it or not. I often think those words to myself. There's nowhere else I could be going but following. He's it. I don't think the Eucharist is that big of a deal as far as Catholics nowadays believing in the real presence. I think if we firmed up our catechesis and helped our young people to understand what we mean by the Eucharist, his true body, blood, soul, and divinity, his lifeblood, his gift of self to us, the power of the Mass, the power of Holy Communion. I don't think it would be as controversial as it was back then. But there are other things that are as controversial that the Lord does teach through His Church right now that are absolutely this controversial. There always has been throughout the ages, unpopular things that Jesus teaches that does not sit well with the people hearing those words. The Catholic Church speaks on behalf of Jesus Christ himself, just like Peter does here in today's Gospel. You are it. Peter's the one out of the thousands who nails it perfectly. The voice of authority, the mouthpiece of God. God has given us this stability. Peter still speaks in a time when we have technology and things move faster and ideas move faster than they ever have in human history. And minds are persuaded and the media is powerful. And public opinion is at one point, one day, and another place, the next day. In the midst of this, we have the church, the mouthpiece of God, Peter speaking these words of truth.
Eternal life does not change. It's eternal. Eternal things do not change. Everything else does. God does not change. I think the church is, as time goes on, going to probably look more like this dwindled down crowd that we read about in the gospel. And maybe some of you have read that famous prediction, prophecy, whatever you want to call it, from Pope Benedict. He made it before he was Pope. He, he said these words in 1969. I'm going to read them out loud. But I think they are words of hope. And I do think they are prophetic. And I, I think they help us to see our own times in a hopeful way. Because as new generations continue to leave the church and the practice of Catholicism, which is happening, and as people continue to walk away from Christ in every Protestant denomination as well, we could sometimes maybe be tempted to be discouraged. But we should not be discouraged. We should have hope. Because Christ is King of reality. And upon this church, he said to Peter, the gates of hell will never prevail. That's a guarantee from Jesus. So in 1969, when Pope Benedict was just a priest, he said these words, from the crisis of today, we can remember 1969, and that is probably one of the most culturally crazy times in the past century. From the crisis of today, the church of tomorrow will emerge. A church that has lost much. She will become small and will have to start afresh more or less from the beginning. She will no longer be able to inhabit many of the edifices she built in her prosperity. As the number of her adherences, adherence diminishes, so she will lose many of her social privileges. In contrast to an earlier age, it will be seen much more like a voluntary society entered only by free decision. He means an end to cultural Catholicism. As a small societal society, it will make much bigger demands on the initiative of her individual members. Undoubtedly, it will discover new forms of ministry. Alongside this, the full-time ministry of the priesthood will be indispensable, as formerly. But in all the changes 
at one at which one might guess the church will find her essence afresh and f- and f- with full conviction and that which was always at her center faith in the triune god and jesus christ the son of god in the presence of the spirit until the end of the world in faith and prayer she will again recognize the sacraments as the worship of God and not as a subject for liturgical scholarship or experiment. The church will be a more spiritual church, not presuming upon political mandate, flirting as little with the left as with the right, It will be a hard going for the church, for the process of crystallization and clarification will cost her much valuable energy. It will make her poor and cause her to become the church of the meek. The process will be all the more arduous for sectarian narrow-mindedness as well as self-will that is pompous will have to be let go. As one might predict, all this will take time. The process will be long and wearisome, as was the road from the false progressivism on the eve of the French Revolution, when a bishop at that time might be thought smart if he made fun of dogmas or insinuated that the existence of God was by no means certain, to the renewal of the 19th century. But when the trial of this sifting is passed, a great power will flow from a more spiritualized and simplified church. Men in a totally planned world will find themselves unspeakably lonely. We think about the movement of technology, a more planned world. If they have completely lost sight of God, they will feel the whole horror of their existential poverty. Then they will discover the little flock of believers as something wholly new. They will discover it as a hope that is meant for them, an answer for which they have always been searching in secret. And so it seems certain to me that the church is facing very hard times. The real crisis has scarcely begun. We will have to count on terrific, terrific, terrifying upheavals. But I am equally certain about what will remain at the end. Not the church of the political cult, which is dead already, but the church of faith. She may no longer be the dominant social power to the extent that she was until recently, but she will enjoy a fresh blossoming and be seen as man's home where he will find life and hope beyond death. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of our faith. We ask you to stand with Help us to have the courage to stand with Peter. 
and the other 12 with you. Amid the coming and the going of the crowds, we ask for communion with you, Lord. We ask for great pouring out of your blessing on your, on your Catholic Church right now, a new entrance of the Holy Spirit into the Church. We ask for this blessing upon St. Michael's Parish as well. We ask this all through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Peter, pray for us. <laughs> 